Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. Let us sit. I'd like to start out by saying to those who might be watching on uh, live stream that this is the um, 24th Sunday after Pentecost, November 7th, 2021, and we are the Church of the Good Shepherd in Pelham, Alabama. The readings today are from Year B of the Book of Common Prayer 2019. So I say that for the benefit of the podcast listeners who will hear this later, if they so choose. Well, let me start out by talking about really how bad the last two years have been. That's really some topic to talk about, but it has been bad. It's been very bad. It's not the first time in the world anything's ever been bad, but the last two years in particular, uh, not only here in the United States, uh, but around the world because of this coronavirus. Now how each person has dealt with the coronavirus and the various remedies depends upon what his or her belief system uh, is. Some people are stoic, meaning that life is fixed and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Just find a way to fit in. Others are Epicurean, meaning that uh, life and its effects are random. Relax, isolate yourself for the safe, for your own safety, and make yourself comfortable. Platonists believe that this world is nothing but a shadow of reality. Some say that if this bullet has your name on it, then suck it up, you're doomed, and there's nothing you can do about that to change your fate. Perhaps most uh, people in Western society are Epicurean. We settle down, we seek personal safety, and hold on to the belief that this too will pass. Some Christians take the Neoplatonic approach. If we die from the virus, it's not so bad because we're destined for a better place anyway. No longer will will we be a shadow but inside the reality of that other world, heaven. Now, have you noticed that none of these beliefs I just mentioned emerge from anger? They're passive, somewhat blasé in attitude. They're settled in in their belief or understanding. There's no emotion, there's no passion, but certainly an implied commitment to whatever their belief is. So, as we look at the world situation, we ask, where is God in all this mess? Why doesn't God come down from heaven and fix it? These questions emerge not only from anger, but they are uttered by the faithful. A non-believer would never ask these uh, questions, for he has no basis. Surely God can come down and rid the world of this deadly virus, and perhaps... This deadly virus is a sign of the end of the world. Perhaps God is punishing us for our sin. Do you think? 
Now a test of this kind of thinking, however, is another often heard phrase, God is in charge. If God is in charge and if God loves us, why doesn't he leave heaven and come down and help us? Hear what the psalmist said, David in particular in this case, Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a lament. If you don't spend time with the psalms, please do. There, there are so many different types of psalms. Uh, Psalm 22 is lament. Uh, David is, uh, is in trouble. David says at the beginning of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Sounds like God didn't help him. Kind of like God seemingly is not helping us right now. Now David's enemies were creeping up on him. He felt trapped. He felt insecure. And he pleaded uh, for God's deliverance. But deliverance seems never to come. David knows God, but he thinks that he has now been forsaken. Let's uh, hear what the Gospel of St. Matthew says in, in verse 27. The chief priests, with the scribes and elders, mocked Jesus, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come, if he is the king, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. So let God deliver him now. For he said that he is the Son of God. The chief priests, scribes, and elders, all Jews, were mocking another Jew, Jesus. While on the cross, even Jesus pleaded to the Father the words of King David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, the divine Jesus was the human Jesus also. So why didn't God come, God the Father, come and spare Jesus, his own son, from the sufferings on the cross? The chief priests, the scribes, the elders obviously did not know who Jesus was, or they decided to disregard what he said and what his claims were. They did not understand the transformation that is about to take place in Jewish and world history. Jesus in human flesh walked the earth. He healed the sick and even charged his apostles and disciples to do the same. Jesus, Jesus was sent to serve and not to be served. Go and follow me. What else did Jesus do? Jesus cried. Jesus wept. He had a loved one, Lazarus, who had died. And he was far away. And they called to him as he was dying. But the Lord God wept. And he took his time getting, getting his Lazarus. Now we weep because we too are human and we care. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus to whom he loved, but later raised him from the dead. When asked for signs from Jews, Jesus would reply with stories, with parables. Many people today say that the coronavirus must be the result of sin. 
or the virus might be a sign of the end times. Jesus said only God the Father knows when the end will come. So why do we look for a sign? If this is God's world, why does he let it rot and sin and disease? We feel helpless many times. We look elsewhere for help. So really has God abandoned his creation? Our Psalter lesson for today teaches us how we should approach God and how, how we should live. Psalm 146, which we just read, begins like this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. I remind you that Psalms 146 through 150 are called the praise psalms because each one of them ends with the line, praise the Lord. But this is a happy way to live. This is a good way to live. It's the right way to live. And that's what Psalm 146 tells us. So let's keep that in mind as we go on. In our Old Testament reading uh, for this morning from 1 Kings, we read that God was indeed present. God did not abandon Elijah, nor the widow in the town of Zarephath in Sidon. God spoke to and through Elijah. God used a human being. Later in that chapter, God restores the life of the widow's son who had died. The Lord provided for them in their time of trouble and need. But that was in the old days when prophets spoke of and declared God's intentions and God's action. God was in charge then, was he not? But today is modern times and God is nowhere to be seen or heard. It seems that modern times God is not in charge or doesn't want to get involved in our lives, our problems, our situations. It made me think of Loretta Castorini. Do you know who Loretta Castorini was? In the movie Moonstruck. Okay, so her uh, future husband's mother, she never did marry him in the movie, married his brother, but it was over in Italy and she was dying. Then all of a sudden she was okay and it was a miracle. And so uh, he, she got a call saying it was a miracle. She's not going to die now. And so Loretta says, this is modern times. There are no miracles in modern times. And I think that that statement right there is, is kind of universal because a lot of people think that way. I ask you to consider this too. This is a prayer to God from about 70 years ago by a top military commander in the middle of a war. And he recorded his prayer in his diary, like all good generals do. Sir, meaning God, the past 14 days have been straight hell. Rain, snow, more rain, more snow. I'm beginning to wonder what's going on in your headquarters. <laughs> Whose side are you on anyway? That was a prayer. Had God abandoned this general? Is this similar to King David's plead in Psalm 22? That general officer was a Christian and was quite bold in his prayer to God. And not passive, but active, and he was an active believer. Perhaps, but perhaps the general's understanding of God and of Messiah Jesus was somewhat lacking. 
the general was besieged by a great moment of consequence. He went on. For three years my chaplains have been telling me that this is a religious war. This, they tell me, is the Crusades all over again, except that we're riding tanks instead of chargers. They insist that we are here to annihilate the enemy and their godless leader so that religious freedom may return to the continent. Up until now I have gone along with them, for you have given us your unreserved cooperation. You have often given me excellent guidance in difficult command situations. But now you've changed horses midstream. I can't help but feel that I have offended you in some way, that suddenly you have lost all sympathy for our cause. Well, that's an honest prayer, is it not? Now, for this general, every soldier in his command had a, carried a 3 by 5 card. On one side was a Christmas greeting from the general, and on the other side was a prayer for good weather. Had God abandoned this general at his time of greatest need? Well, we'll find out. Now, you and I live in the uh, following days, or the aftermath of Jesus' life, death, uh, uh, crucifixion, and resurrection. We have that benefit of being on that side of the crucifixion. You and I know that Christ's death on the cross killed death itself. You and I know that in Christ's death, all sin was paid for. Now, Elijah, the widow woman, and King David lived before Christ's atoning act. And the general, being a faithful Christian, would have known the saving grace through Christ had he done the correct interpretation. Nonetheless, in his bold and arrogant prayer, the general was subservient to God because he prayed. Now, the pandemic has placed the entire world in a, in a situation of consequence. We plead and we pray to God. So there is a turning point to discern here, or at least to recognize here, how does God act? Does God answer prayer? Does God wait and then keep us in suspense for an answer? Now, our New Testament reading from the letter to the Hebrews this morning tells us not only who Jesus is, but how his uniqueness changed the world. Hebrews is a wonderful letter, a wonderful book in the New Testament because it connects the Old Testament to the New uh, very precisely. It tells us who Jesus is, tells us who Jesus is not, tells us who Jesus was like. It read this morning, For Christ had entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He's paid the price for our sin. <clears throat> Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood, not his own, that he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. So prior to Christ, once a year in the temple, the chief rabbi would go through a, a ritual of atonement using blood, not of his own. It was repeated, repeated. Since Jesus, that doesn't happen. 
The book of Hebrews is very clear with that. And it goes on, it says, But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Those of us who sin ask for repentance. We will do that again this morning. But those of us who sin ask for repentance. With true repentance, we turn to him. And then at the, our final hour, then we will be saved. We will be called by Jesus. So do you see what's going on here? You see how God works? So the turning point of history is Jesus Christ himself. He is the key to history. The key to history is his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. The key to history is that Jesus, by dying on the cross, assumed all our sins by destroying death, by death. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan for his creation, and God started his plan by rescuing the Israelites from the Egyptian slavery. God's plan was to use Israel as his arms and legs to teach the world about God. Were the Israelites the best people on earth at the time? I don't think so. The Bible description clearly points that out. But God rescued the Israelites because he loved them. They were chosen for a specific mission. God did not rescue the Israelites from their sin. No, and the Passover was not about forgiveness. God loved them, and God was looking forward. What do we do next? Despite it all, God's mission and God's message were carried through and lived within Israel, despite all of the things that they did. Now think about this. God made both male and female in his image. And we shouldn't gloss over that. That's important. That's significant. The image of God resides in humankind, in you, in me, and in Israel. And God used Israel for his purposes. And God uses the church, this assembly. So how did the early church deal with life after the day of Pentecost when the church was formed? Well, things happened. Bad things happened. So the early church understood its calling to serve. The church helped poor widows. The church visited those in prison. The church provided food and clothing uh, for, for those uh, who were uh, hungry and naked. The church shared the Eucharistic meal, which we'll do in a few minutes. The church is not only a praying and praising church, it is a doing church. So, awful things happen. Don't lament. Do something. Such is the nature and the calling of the church. Then, praise the Lord in the sharing of and in the participation of his work. Let's go back to our general. At a later point in the war, same war, same place, same area, the situation was improving. The general felt compelled to drop to his knees in prayer. Sir, 
It's me again. And I beg to report complete success. Sir, it seems to me that you have been much better informed about the situation than was I. Because it was that awful weather which I cursed you so much which made it possible for the enemy to commit suicide. That, sir, was a brilliant military move, and I bow humbly to your supreme genius. General George Patton. He was a brilliant military leader. He was bold, articulate, brave, and arrogant. He could complain all he wanted, but he could not plan nor predict the future. Patton took a knee and humbled himself before the Lord. Amen to that. King David, as told in Psalm 22, also had a change of heart. His understanding of God was enlightened. And after asking, why have you forsaken me? David said, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In, your, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So I'm saying we should be careful about how we react to catastrophic world events, even personal events. Because God is in charge, but not necessarily in the way we might think from time to time. But we are God's hands and feet. God intended to rule this world with and through his people. Now that meant, means government too. Listen to what St. Paul said in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Pretty tough. For well, the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then you do what is good, you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. God also gives us a warning. Psalm 146, starting in verse 3, the psalmist says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that day his plans perish. So let's be vigilant. Let's be wise. And always, always in praising the Lord. Amen. Amen.
Thank you again for joining us on the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. We hope that you'd visit us in person. We have Sunday worship uh, every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. And you can visit us on our website at www.goodshepherdacna.com or visit us on Facebook at Good Shepherd ACNA. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast. It not only makes us feel better, but more importantly, it helps those who are searching for Anglican podcasts find podcasts like this one and other ones that are out there on the web. Thank you, God bless, and have a good one. The Lord be with you, and with thy spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right so to do.